Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me for episode number 55 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a reminder, you can find detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 55. You know, the biggest reason I became self-employed was to have more control. You know, I wanted to have more control over just about anything I did, over the kind of work that I did, uh, when I did that work, how I went about it. I didn't want anyone micromanaging all of this. And I especially wanted to have more control over the people I worked with, not over control over the people, but I wanted to have control over the decision, you know, who I took on. I had spent so many years in sales and in sales, basically, uh, you have no choice. I mean, you're out, you're paid to find work. It doesn't really matter who it is, uh, what they're like. Uh, many times it doesn't even matter. They can pay their bills. You know, sometimes the pressure is so high that uh, even the most undesirable Clients or customers are all fair game. And, you know, I, I dealt with all of them. And I realized, man, you know what? When I go go out on my own, I'm going to be much more choosy about who I take on. And as a service-based professional, you have to be. You know, you, 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 really, you, you really want to be choosy. Um, you want to choose your clients more carefully. I know I certainly wanted to, and I always do to this day, because, you know, to me as a, as a freelance writer, I was essentially, and I am essentially selling a relationship. And I know when I was starting out, I felt like I didn't want to have a relationship with people who didn't appreciate me, didn't appreciate my work, or who weren't fun to work with. You know, that was important to me as well. And if we we're going to work together closely, I wanted to do that only with people I truly enjoyed, and I want to do that with meaningful work and engaging work, and that's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode, and to do that, I've brought in one of the leading authorities on getting clients in the professional services arena, C.J. Hayden, and C.J., some of you are familiar with her. She is the author of the classic book, Get Clients Now, and this is a book I read, studied, and applied in my early years as a freelancer, and it has served me very well over the years. So I truly feel honored to finally have her on the show to talk about this important talk, topic, which is finding and working with ideal clients. So let's bring her on the show, and I'll come back at the end with a couple of quick announcements. CJ, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Ed. Great to be here. Well, it's you know we're talking a little bit uh, uh, offline here about uh, the impact that your that your materials and your knowledge and your insights have had in my in my freelance business. And in fact, it's, it was Get Clients Now was one of the first books that I that I read when I started my business on the side and had a huge impact on my thinking about prospecting for clients. So uh, you know, thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I'm always thrilled to hear that uh, my little baby has had an impact. Oh, it's, it was huge. And I specifically remember 
the the whole um, the recipe metaphor really resonated with me because I was thinking about prospecting, and you know, I'd been in sales for a long time. I, I I thought about it in a similar way, but never vividly like that. And I'm a I'm a home cook, so that that metaphor really uh, really rang true. Well, I love cooking and food metaphors when we're talking about marketing and sales. I, I think a lot of the the metaphors out there are uh, they set up sort of an adversarial point of view, like you're you're having to overcome things and fight for things, and that doesn't I think put you in the best mindset for interacting with potential clients and referral sources. So I like to use food and cooking metaphors, which I think are very nurturing, and they make me feel more like I, I, I want to be in connection with somebody and sit down with them over a meal. Yeah, so true. And I had come from a world where it was you know, very male-driven, right? You know, gung-ho, go get them, you know, a lot of war metaphors, <laughs> which, you know, it's it's cool. But after a while, you start thinking, man, this is really just not 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 the way I look at it, you know, entirely. I, I don't look at them as adversaries. You know, this is a true partnership, so I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so today we're talking about landing ideal clients, and this is a super, super important topic. One of the things that concerns me about this topic is that I remember years ago, it, it was a very cool and interesting idea. A lot of people have used uh, this terminology uh, over the past few years, and it, it's gotten... Um, it's become, I think, commonplace in some circles. And, and I think that's a dangerous thing because it's not a cute thing, right? This is not about, oh, you know, ideal client. This is not pie in the sky. I really do believe that much of what we plan for, much of what we do has to start with this thinking about your ideal client and, and defining it um, clearly. So, uh, but so let's start there. You know, when you when you're talking about ideal clients, what do you mean by that? Well, for the people who are your audience, Ed, and for the people who I work with, our businesses are really personal. It's about us interacting with the prospective client, closing the deal, delivering the work, and our our days are really consumed by those interactions and that work that we do, it's so important that we actually be having a good time. Because if you're not having a good time as a self-employed person, why are you doing this? Why don't you just go get a job somewhere, right? And work as someone's slave. No, if you want to be self-employed, a true freelancer, work with clients who you most want to work with, the people who give you enjoyable work, they're easy to work with, they're reasonable about deadlines, hopefully they give you repeat business, they pay their bills on time, it would be even better if they're the ones who pay you the highest fees and allow you to close sales easily instead of having to struggle for them. I I think the ideal client is the one who you want to work with all the time and just forget about all those other possibilities out there. Well, so how do you think most people look at this, you know, or if they even think about it, how do you think most freelancers go about the whole client attraction or acquisition thing? Do you, do you think they give it much thought, this whole ideal clients question? Well, I think 
that most freelancers give a lot of thought to where are the clients going to come from and how am I going to get enough clients and enough clients paying well enough to make my living from this thing. But I think the piece that's very easy to to let go of in that thinking is what's going to make it easy and enjoyable instead of getting into this place of desperation or worry, which I think leads to just taking any kind of work you can get. And that's what I see most freelancers do, actually, is start marketing themselves to basically anyone who will listen and hope that if they talk to enough people or they put their material out there to enough people that somehow enough work will result from that without thinking through, okay, but who are the people I should be talking to? Where's the best work going to come from? If I really want to make a decent living, what should my business look like? Should I have a gazillion little clients or maybe I should just have two or three big ones? What's the model that's going to serve me? And I think that that gets left out of the equation an awful lot. Yeah, it really does. And, and, and I'm wondering, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if someone listening who, let's say, is having kind of a tough time and they're just really just trying to make it right now. Maybe it's been like that for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a danger that what you're sharing right now might seem um, too ideal, right? Uh, to Too... Uh, gosh, I'm not there yet. I'm am ju- really just trying to survive right now, so I can't even start thinking about idea. I just want anybody, like anything right now that can come my way, you know. So, and, and a lot of freelancers are in that situation many times. So, how do you step out of that and and take the time to to really sharpen that saw, right? When when what keeps pulling you in is this whole fear and scarcity mentality. I think you have to step back for a minute and take a look at what's going on. If you work with clients who aren't ideal, who aren't the ones you really don't want to be working with, number one, you don't have a good time. You don't get to do your best work. You never achieve what you're really capable of. You may have way too much hassle. You have to spend a lot of time getting a sale to close or, God forbid, getting paid after you've done the work. Or maybe you have to work way too hard to please them or you have impossible deadlines that they're constantly imposing on you. It's likely that you're not getting paid enough. Maybe overall you're just under-earning or you're having to work way harder because you've got a lot of little widely spaced contracts coming in instead of a steady flow of work. You've got an opportunity cost. You know, the time that you spend working for the clients who are not the ones you really want is time that you can't spend to pursue or to work for the ones that you do. And I would also say when you work for your client, work for a client who isn't ideal, they refer more clients like themselves, right? If, if yeah, you work for do. somebody, if you work for somebody who's not paying you enough, they work from, they refer you more people who say, oh, this woman's really cheap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you need to use her, and then next thing you know, that's that's everyone's coming your way. That's 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 kind of what they're coming in with. Yeah. And and here's the other thing too, right? I've from a mindset standpoint, I've also found that the longer you stay in that, it's really a, a vicious cycle, right? The mm-hmm. longer you stay there, the more you start believing that this is all you can do. 
that this is yes. the best you can do. So it really does become a self-fulfilling prophecy, and it's very hard to break that cycle. It, it does, and it makes you feel inadequate to do the work that you really are capable of. So I think there's a, a, a huge cost to it. And you can't get stuck in the place of, oh, I've got to take this because otherwise nothing else is going to happen. Well, you know, you have to make that something else happen and start now because it's not going to happen on its own. Exactly. So basically, look, even if you're uh, kind of in survival mode, at some point you really have to break the cycle. And it starts by making the decision, right, to identify that and then really starts, start going after that ideal client. That's right. So let's talk about how to define this, right? Because so here's where I see a difference, right? And I mentioned earlier, a lot of people have been talking about this for a few years, but everyone says, ah, you got you to gotta do this, but nobody teaches you how to do it. So I, I know you have some very specific steps on how to identify or define your ideal client. Let's tell us a little bit about that. First, I think what you want to do is think back over the jobs you've had that you've really enjoyed. What did those people or those jobs or those organizations have in common? What characteristics do they share? Where did they come from? How did they arrive in your world? What is it about those jobs, whether this is something that you've done since you became a freelancer or back in the days when you were an employee somewhere, perhaps, what do they have in common? That's going to lead you to start being able to build up a definition. You also want to think about not just the work itself, but also the process of getting the client. What have your easiest sales been? What do they have in common? How did those jobs come to you? Who were the people that paid your rate without questioning it or paid their bill without you having to ask three times? Mm -hmm. Those are all really important considerations. And another one is really look at the numbers. What is your average sale? And let me define what I mean by that. Average sale is the amount that a client agrees to pay you at the moment when they decide to work with you. So every project, every contract results in an average sale. And that may be something that happens within a month's time frame. It may be something that happens over several months. But it's what they're agreeing to when they agree. Take a look at your average sale numbers. You know, the higher your average sale is, the less hard you have to work. Or another way of looking at it is, the more you, time you get to spend doing what you love to do, which is hopefully writing, and the less time you have to spend marketing and selling. Yes. Right? So if your average sale can be higher, then you can spend more time being a writer and less being a salesperson. Who can give you that higher average sale? Even if you can increase it just incrementally, just a group of people, a group of organizations that can potentially pay you just a little bit more or give you larger projects, you're going to redu reduce dramatically the amount of time you have to spend marketing yourself, which means, again, you're going to be having a better time. Sure. You're, so you're more billable work with clients you actually enjoy working with. Yes. One of the things that I get asked about 
a lot is, you know, Ed, I, there's some things in my ideal client profile that I can, that are easily identifiable. In other words, if I'm looking for more that are like that, I can tell very quickly, but there are some attributes here. You know, you, you mentioned paid, somebody paid well, uh, paid on time, the, the sale closed easily. Some of these more uh, subjective, uh, qualitative attributes that are harder to identify, right? So, so when you go out there prospecting, you're creating a new list, for instance, you know, how do you make those determinations, right? Because I know that, okay, maybe a certain industry or a certain size or a certain type of product, whatever, those things are easily identified, but these qualitative factors are not. What would you say to that? I agree with you. And I think that one of the directions it's important to look at is where the best clients come from. And of course, there's no absolute rules for anybody, but I find that in many cases, the best clients end up coming by referral or by being attracted to you because you have presented yourself as being credible as opposed to somebody that you prospected out of the blue. I think that there's a lot to be said for seeing how you can get more clients either by referral or by attraction to your expert profile instead of looking at how many doors can I knock on. Because people tend to refer other people like themselves. You know, if you've got an easygoing, terrific to work with client, that person is probably going to refer you other easygoing, terrific to work with clients. Yeah. It, it doesn't happen that often that the person you really love refers you people that you hate. So there's a lot to be said for looking for people that come to you through connections you already have as opposed to putting all of the emphasis on prospecting and approaching cold people who've never heard of you. I'd like to add something to that because that's a great point. And I think we should all build businesses. And I talk about this all the time. Build businesses where more and more of your prospects are coming to you as your business grows versus yes. you having to find them. It's a little harder at the beginning, right? But uh, you may have to knock on, on doors and mostly knocking on doors to get the business at the beginning. But you should be moving in that direction. I would also add that I've gone as far as to actually create a persona, a very detailed persona of my ideal client. In my case, I have two of them. And I will even give them a name. I'll talk about you know their family, their personality, and everything because I, I found that being that detailed, and I'm, I'd like to get your opinion on this because I don't know, it's worked for me, but being that detailed, sure, I may not be able to, 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 to find that person outright, but what happens is it gives me really good clarity, especially during that initial conversation. I can immediately recognize, wow, this person really feels right or they don't feel right. Something's off. And I don't think I could arrive at that if I hadn't been that descriptive in my ideal client profile. You know, I love that. And I think that could be very, very useful. If you can identify a Joe or a Joan that is the person that you really want to be doing business with, then you've got somebody that you can hold up to anyone else that you're considering. And you can say, well, okay, maybe this isn't Joe, maybe it's Dan, but could Dan and Joe be friends? You know, yeah, yeah. Do I see, see Dan and Joe sitting around having a beer? If I do, then Dan might be as good a client for me as Joe is. I think that kind of profile that gets beyond just the demographics into the psychographics and the, the look and the feel 
of the right kind of person. And it can be very, very useful when you're out there trying to decide who you're going to spend time pursuing versus who you're not. And are you, do you like the idea of maybe having two or three different ideal client profiles? Do you see anything against that? If it makes sense for your business, I don't think it's a problem as long as they're not so diverse that they're going to make you get yourself scattered. I, you know, I do see people try and do that. They'll say, well, there's five or there's six different groups of people I could work with. And that starts really muddying your message. I think the most any, any solo professional can realistically handle is three. Two is better. And think of it in terms of your website, okay? If I'm looking at the homepage of your website, and you want to split it into columns to lead me in a particular direction because I'm a certain kind of client. How many directions can you really lead me in? Okay. That's a great point. Two works well. Three can be done. You start getting more than that. Well, now we're talking about having to make a list and lists. Well, you know, nobody ever gets beyond the top two or three items on a list. Yeah, you're right. Plus, it's it's hard to keep all that in your head. I mean, five, six profiles that just – unless you have the paper in front of you, it's going to be, so it should be the kind of thing that you should immediately recognize. And I think more than two, I agree with you. That starts getting to be a bit much. Um, and it, it also makes it very difficult for you to be marketing yourself through avenues like networking and referral building, where you absolutely have to be able to introduce yourself in 10 seconds and say who you work with. If there's two groups you work with, maybe even three, okay, you can fit that into a 10-second introduction and people are going to be able to remember it. But if there's more than that, again, you're back to the list. Nobody remembers a list. I want to go back to one of the, the sources of, of prospects or, or leads that you mentioned, and, and I'd like to maybe focus on that a little bit because it's, I know it's, it's so important, which is referrals. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about how defining and being very clear about your ideal clients can can help you in terms of getting more and better referrals. Absolutely. So the thing is that when you're asking someone who you know, if they're if they can think of somebody who should work with you, if they could possibly refer business to you, you need to give them something very simple and very memorable. And the more clear you can be, about what you're asking, the more likely it is that something is actually going to result from that. So let's say, for example, you can narrow down your ideal client to say, all right, my target market is healthcare companies. And the person who's most likely to hire me in a healthcare company is the marketing director. Okay, so now I know who I'm seeking is marketing directors of healthcare companies. Great. Now I can ask myself, well, who knows healthcare marketing directors? Who's already routinely in touch with them? And it, you can start in your own mind to generate a list. You can say, all right, well, let's see, other freelancers and other vendors who do something non-competitive. So maybe it's a graphic designer, a web designer, an art director, a photographer, a marketing strategist, a media buyer, right? So those are all people who could potentially be in touch with that person. And then you can also look at, all right, well, hmm, how about people who are marketing directors 
but they're in different fields. They might be colleagues of this person and they would know them. Or how about people who work in healthcare companies but have different job titles? They would be colleagues of this person and they would know them. So now you're already leading yourself down a path to get very specific with yourself about who could potentially refer you business. And you can start looking at your contact list. Well, who do I already know that meets those criteria? And therefore, I can now reach out to somebody who's a graphic designer, a web designer, a photographer, for example, and take a look. All right, well, what's their client list? Do they work with people in healthcare? Oh, they do. Hey, that's great. Okay, let's get to know each other. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. You tell me what you're looking for. We could exchange referrals. Boom, you've got a referral partner. So by choosing the ideal client for yourself and getting very specific about it, it leads you down a path that step-by-step can put you directly in touch with people who can refer you clients all the time. I love that. And, you know, I'm th- as you're describing this, I'm thinking about people who have told me, Ed, um, you know, could you, if, if you ever come across this type of person, um, I, I would love to, to get a referral versus those who have said, yeah, my business is referral based. If, if, you know, if you can think of someone, please send them my way. And there's a very specific, like I'm thinking of this lady right now. Her market, and now she's chosen to be very specific by industry, right? So her market is independent financial advisors, mm-hmm. and she does marketing for them in a very specific type of marketing. So if, if you can think of you know, an independent financial advisor you know, who could probably use help in this area, I'd love to get, to, to get an introduction. Right, that's very specific because what, what is she doing? She Right away, she's helping me kind of sort through my Rolodex, my mental Rolodex, and identifying someone very specific. And I'm sure she tells everyone the same thing. Absolutely. And what it does is it enables you to make contact with people based on a profile instead of waiting to find out about a need. So if you're expecting people to refer to you because you say something to them like, Well, if you know anybody who needs to have educational articles for their company newsletter, I would love to meet them. Uh, Okay, well, how am I going to know if somebody I know needs educational articles for their company newsletter, right? Yeah. But if you tell me, if you ever meet anyone who is a communications director for a healthcare company, that's who I want to talk to. Boom. Now I can look at my own stack of business cards and know immediately who I should be introducing to you. Man, I tell you what, that is such a powerful, it, it, it's deceptively simple. If you walk away with anything so far that you've talked about, my, my suggestion is you know, kind of go back, rewind that, and, and listen to that again. Because I never heard anyone explain it that way. I think that's huge. So basically profile-based versus need-based uh, definition. I, I think it's, it's, most people go the other way, right? But do you, if you, have, if you know someone who needs a website written, right? Right. Uh, okay. The, the chances of them knowing someone right now who said that in the past week, because beyond that, you're going to forget are pretty slim. That's right. And it also means you're setting yourself up to be in competition with others because somebody's already expressed the need. They may have already gotten other referrals. They may have contacted people 
versus being able to reach out to somebody before they've been widely casting the net for someone to fill this need for them and say, hi, this is what I do, would love to find out what you need. And boom, you may be in the door without having to be in a competitive situation. That is so true. Yeah, don't come in there too late. Great point. Great point. So let's talk about other ways of, of finding clients. Um, how do you make the termination? I know you advise a lot of clients in this area. This is your area of specialty. But how do you choose the best way to, to spend your time and, and money and resources and energy finding clients? We've talked about one of them, right? Referral mm-hmm. base. So there are other uh, methods that, that you kind of work into the mix. And, and, and it's, do you have a decision matrix for, for making better decisions? Absolutely. You do need to have a system, a strategy, a plan, not just do things at random. I I think for a lot of freelancers, what marketing looks like is you wake up in the morning and you say, gee, I need to work on getting clients today. And then you check your email and what's in there is a LinkedIn invitation from somebody. And so you reply to it and then you go, huh, LinkedIn, gee, maybe I should have more LinkedIn connections. And so you start inviting people to connect. And the next thing you did know, half of the day that you had available to you for marketing is gone doing something that wasn't even in your mind when you woke up that morning. Is that the best way for you to spend your time and money? So you need to have some kind of strategy. And the way I approach it with Get Clients Now is I have people look first at what I call the universal marketing cycle. And the universal marketing cycle is something that helps you Choose where to put your focus. I define marketing as having four stages. There's filling the pipeline, there's following up, there's having sales conversations, and there's closing sales. And it's my premise that at any given time, you probably need more work in one of those areas more than any of the other areas. Either you don't have enough contacts and prospects, so you should therefore be focusing on filling the pipeline, Or maybe you've got a ton of people you haven't been in touch with lately, so maybe you should be focusing on following up. Or you're following up all the time, but you never get to even talk to anybody. All right, well, your focus needs to be on having sales conversations and so on. If you can look at where to put your focus right now to have the most impact, that's a way of deciding what your time and money gets spent on that's according to a strategy, a plan, not just doing things at random. So much of marketing is talking about filling the pipeline. Where do I find people? How do I attract people? And it's absolutely true that that's important, but it's not the only place to focus. And if you don't have a system that allows you to then follow up with those people and lead them to sales conversations and get to the place of closing the sale, then you may have a very fat pipeline and never have any clients. So that's the first upfront decision that I think somebody needs to make about determining what are the best ways to spend their time and money. And, and you know, it's almost like this is, and I'm kind of drawing this out as a cycle or as a a kind of a matrix, four-quadrant matrix. It's almost like I would put this on my bulletin board because it gives me something visual. Every day I can look at it and go, where is my focus for today? Right, as a reminder, because everyone does default to filling the pipeline. They think that that is, you know, if, if, if I'm not doing that, then I'm not really doing marketing. Well, and I have to say, there's a psychological aspect to this too. The things that we do to fill the pipeline are often less personally confronting than the things we must do to follow up and have sales conversations and close sales. 
So if I give you the choice, are you going to spend today interacting with people on Facebook in the hopes that people will pass your stuff along? Or are you going to spend today getting on the phone and making calls to people who had expressed interest in working with you in the past? Okay, well, getting on Facebook sure sounds a lot easier to me than making those phone calls. Yeah, yeah. And there's no boss looking over your shoulder to make you do the hard stuff. So you have to yourself look at what do I really need to focus on right now and make the decisions from there, not on what seems the most approachable at any particular point in time. So true. So true. So in, in terms of, let's say someone is, is, is thinking through this and they know they, gotta, they, they don't have an ideal client profile. Now they're thinking about prospecting a little differently. Where do you suggest someone start? I mean, right now, I, I'm kind of overwhelmed just listening to all this and taking notes. I can imagine someone who's really struggling with this would probably be even more overwhelmed. So where do you start? What would you suggest someone do right now if this is a, an issue for them? Start by coming up with a rough definition of who you think your ideal client could be based on some of the characteristics we talked about earlier. And when you have a rough sketch of who that person might be, come up with some boilerplate language that you can use for networking introductions in emails, in sales conversations, on your website or in letters that describes these are the sort of people that I work with. These are the kinds of projects that I work on. And then test out your assumption that this is who you want to work with and that you've got the right description by doing some reaching out with networking, referral building, or direct contact prospecting so that you can get some reaction from the people you're talking to. Feel it out. Make sure that you've got it down. And if it feels like you're moving in the right direction, then gradually start shifting your your public image or your position in the marketplace to appeal to, to attract, to build credibility with that specific group. Don't be afraid to take a stand. When you feel like you've got the right audience, let them know that you're looking just for them and that you specialize in what they want. Because in a crowded marketplace, people want specialists. They want people who know their needs, their language. They don't want to work with people who are generalists simply because they have choices. Wouldn't you rather work with someone who knows your industry and is specifically seeking out people like you as opposed to somebody who will work with just anyone? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I do have a lot of people who – uh, most of my audience buys into that idea. I do get some people who come back to me and say, well, um, yeah, yeah, but I, I don't want to be a specialist because, you know, I was a specialist before the dot-com bust and, and uh, it just it destroyed my business when, when, when that went belly up or real estate or what have you. And, oh, yeah, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, but my thinking is, well, being a specialist doesn't mean you have everything tied to, to necessarily to one industry, right? Or that um, that you're only writing about a very specific, narrow part of that market. Um, it, there's many different ways you could specialize. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. There are a lot of different ways you could specialize. You know, I think of a niche as being a combination of two things. One is target market and the other is specialty. So you can do a number of different things for a particular target market 
or you can have a number of different target markets for a particular specialty, or you can niche yourself with both. You can say, I work only for this target market in this specialty. And when you do that, sometimes that can be fabulous because it's a niche that you can really penetrate in depth and that you have a great position in. But yes, sometimes there can be a problem when all of a sudden, you know, you've specialized in real estate marketing and the real estate industry goes south, right? Exactly. Okay, what do you do then? Okay, you got to shift. No question about it. But, but I would argue that that can happen to you if you don't specialize and a lot quicker. <laughs> I, right? I'm so with you, right? It's like, you know, if you play it that way defensively all the time, that just, that's just no way to go. There's always a risk at something. I'd rather do yes. better for a long time and then have a dry or tough year than to have a mediocre year all the time. Absolutely. And, you know, I find that people that have been successful most of the time are able to recreate that success in another area. But people who have always struggled and have not yet had the experience of being successful in a particular area, those are the folks that find it really hard to shift. I think the key is in being able to define your value in different ways. Because I think when you always understand your deep core values and how they can translate into different areas and you can communicate that effectively and clearly, then you can pivot easily. It's when you, you're completely tied to something and you don't see the bigger picture. and You're just thinking, oh, I only write case studies for technology companies and now that industry is in the toilet. When you see yourself that narrowly, it's very hard to pivot because you're not seeing the bigger picture. Well, how, would, how do those skills translate right, into other areas, other industries, other situations? Yes, and I think that is exactly the danger of not being able to do your best work, not being able to achieve what you're really capable of. You know, if you're doing work that you yourself think of as being just being a hack, right, you don't have enough of a sense of your own capabilities to, to turn on a dime and head in a different direction if the marketplace changes. This has been fantastic, CJ. Really, you know, I, I love this because you're, you're doing what your book did for me, which is it, it, it shifts the thinking about this. You know, these are simple concepts, but I think it's, it depends on how you view them. They could really make all the difference because it's, uh, sometimes we start seeing them the same way over and over again, and we become numb to these ideas. And I love your, your fresh and simple approach to this. So thanks for, for sharing these insights with us. And before you leave, I, I want you to tell us a little bit about your Get Clients Now system because you, you have something that's proven, uh, and I'd love for you to share it with my audience. Absolutely. The Get Clients Now book and program, it gives you a marketing cookbook. You get a shopping list of success ingredients, an action plan menu, and recipes for successful marketing. And it's easy enough to use that even if you're a novice, you can create a powerful, effective marketing plan in a couple of hours. You end up with a detailed daily marketing plan for 28 days. It gives you an actual list of things to do and tells you when to do them. And it, its power, like you said, Ed, is in its simplicity. Anybody can create an effective plan and put it into motion immediately. And what the system guides you to do is to choose approaches to marketing that are not only the most likely to be effective, but that also are a good match for your personal preferences and your abilities. So you end up with a plan that you'll actually do. I love that. Where can people learn more about it? 
getclientsnow.com. That's pretty easy. <laughs> I love it. Well, again, CJ, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate this, and I appreciate connecting with you finally after all these years. Thank you so much, Ed, for the invitation. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And you know, I got to tell you, it, the, I've read a couple of articles in the in the past year or so that have kind of ridiculed this idea of having ideal clients. And I, and I think the people who wrote them really missed the point. You know, many times the, the real value of getting clear on your ideal client is the, the ability to, to make better decisions and to know as you're talking with someone uh, where they fall, you know, on the scale. So there, and that's just one of the many benefits. Um, I, I think you can actually gain a heck of a lot more benefit from getting clear on ideal clients and th- than you could by just ignoring this thinking, well, that's this is useless. So I, I hope you felt the same way and I hope that CJ's ideas uh, got you thinking in the right direction. I wanted to remind you that you can grab the detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 55. If you enjoyed the show, if you enjoyed this particular episode, I would be grateful if you shared it with friends and colleagues who you think might benefit from it. Best way to share it is by through the social media sharing buttons on the page. And of course, you can always go to b2blauncher.com forward slash love, which will pre-populate a tweet for you. Also, it would mean a ton to me if you decided to give the show a quick rating or review on iTunes. I always welcome those. Uh, it really helps bring the show up in the rankings, which of course helps expose it to people who wouldn't have heard about it otherwise. So uh, I really appreciate it. all those who have taken the time to do this. In fact, I wanted to mention a few names of some of the more recent reviewers. Blasius Montmorency SC. These, of course, are all iTunes uh, usernames. So uh, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing some of them. Christopher Strello, Kitsy Witsy, Sandman 478B, Norm Ayers, and Annie T. Ake. So I, again, truly appreciate you taking the time to leave me a quick review. It means the world to me. And man, I tell you what, we've broken through the 100 uh, review, star review barrier or threshold, which is fantastic at 65, 67 reviews up there. Uh, And it just, again, means the world to me. So thanks for taking the time, you guys. And that brings us to the end of the episode. I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.